So this evening's message is open and closed doors. Some weeks ago, the Lord laid uh, just a thought on me. And I thought about it, and I just jotted in a piece of paper a couple of things that came to mind. And one of them was when the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. And I left it there for maybe four weeks now. Didn't touch it, sitting on my desk. And every time I wrote a different message, I looked at it. Then I read, had written another scripture down when it came to me. And then another one. And I just started hearing about knocking on the door. And on Wednesday at the nursing home, we had the service there. And Willie sang this as a solo piece. That the Lord is knocking on the door. And I said to Willie outside, I keep hearing this scripture. And that was on the Wednesday. Thursday I received nothing. Then Friday it came to me and I sat all day writing on Friday. Um, I finished it late Friday night. Turn with me, if you will, to Revelation chapter 3, please. Revelation chapter 3. As we look at open and closed doors. We could entitle it Open and Shut Doors, but nevertheless, Open and Closed Doors. Revelation 3, beginning to read at verse 8, please. In fact, let's read from verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, He that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make of them, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews, and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. To him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let us pray. Father, Thank you for the songs we have sang about the blood of the Lamb, about your Son, the Lord Jesus, and all that he's accomplished for us. We thank you, Lord, for Encounter Grace and the two pieces that they sang. And we ask you, Lord, that even the the gospel and song would reach hearts tonight. And now, fathers, we have read your word and we settle to Uh, Lord, rightly divide it and to break forth this bread of life. We pray 
Lord, for your enabling. May the Spirit of God enable me to do what you would have me to do and to say what you would have me to say. Lord, we can save none, but you are the Savior. We can quicken none, but you are the one who quickens the Spirit. And so we pray that you would move, as it were, from seat to seat and from heart to heart and speak to every heart and every life and encourage your people and strengthen them for coming out in this cold, cold winter's night. Bless them, we ask. Glorify your name. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. In Revelation chapter 2, right to the end of Revelation chapter 3, we have the risen, ascended, glorified Lord Jesus showing to John, the beloved disciple on the Isle of Patmos, showing him seven churches which were literal churches in Asia Minor. Notice they were actual literal churches in Asia Minor. And the Lord showed that he's seen that which was happening in every church assembly, every ecclesia that were called out. And so he was able to tell what was happening and show to John what was happening in every church assembly. Shows us today that Christ knows every church assembly. Every single one. Knows every person. He knows every assembly. He knows it all. And he shows these things to John. Now, take note of this. They were literal, actual literal churches in John's day. They were functioning churches in the day of John on Patmos. And so the letters are written to the angel or to the minister, really, of the churches. And as John is, reveal, is given this revelation from the Lord Jesus, he's writing down a letter to each and every individual church. There are seven churches mentioned by the Lord Jesus to John in Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 2 and in chapter 3. They begin with the church of Ephesus, and that's where we get one of the letters which Paul wrote, and Paul actually established the church of the Ephesians. And it is not only a literal church, as are the rest, but there are also what's known as prophetic church ages. Prophetic church ages. For example, they start with the first letter in chapter 2 is to the church at Ephesus. Now, every one of these we do, maybe after the New Year sometime, we'll do a night, one in every church, and take it apart and show you. Now, every church which happened to be there at that time, our church ages also in the history of the church, and also all of these churches and the things that happened in the churches actually happen in church today. And the Lord sees it. So we want to look tonight at the actual time span of one or two of these churches. And as I said, we need to do a night nearly in every one to do it justice. But I want you to stay with me as we look at open and closed doors. The first church, Ephesus. The first letter to Ephesus. Ephesus, we, it is reckoned that, and these are just, if you want, ballpark figures because they can vary. As things in time change and move over a period of time. So in these prophetic ages, through the church age, they also do the same. For example, the first church mentioned is Ephesus. And we reckon it's about 56 AD until about 96 AD. 
And that which happened in the church was prophetic. Then comes the next church age, which would be Smyrna, which is about 100 AD to about 100 or 313 AD. And then in history, when the church is in history, it goes to the next one. We haven't time to go through them all, but it is Pergamos. And then fourthly would be Thyatira. And then fifthly would be the church of Sardis. And then sixth is the one we have read tonight, which is the church of Philadelphia. And then the last church age is Laodicea. And that is the church where Jesus is standing knocking at the door. Standing knocking at the door. Tonight we want to look at the Philadelphian church and then touch into the Laodicean church. It's the church also, the Laodicean church, is the last church of the seven. Seven is God's number of perfection and completeness. So these seven churches represent all this time in the church age, right until the coming of the Lord again. And it's right to the coming at the church of the Laodicean. So it's at the present. You and I are in the Laodicean church age. The last church age. The church age before the coming of Christ. That's where you and I are tonight. But the Philadelphia church is the church before it. And when you see things changing in history, with church and history and things that happened in the world, for example, from 1730-39, right up until about 1850, you give or take a few years for things changing. This was the era of the Philadelphia church. And then it goes into the Laodicean church. The Philadelphia church was a favored church. The Philadelphia church was a faithful church. And if you read through Revelation 2 and 3 to the seven churches, they're not all faithful. And Christ has commendations for some, and he has condemnation for others. This church of Philadelphia, it was a favored church. It was a faithful church. And Philadelphia means brotherly love. The church of brotherly love. Now in this in this time scale of about 1700s to the mid-1800s, this is when there was missionary endeavor and something special happened to the church coming out from the Protestant Reformation. Now it changes again into the Philadelphia church. And take note of this. It says here in Revelation 3 and 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, He that hath the key of David. Who is he but Christ himself? So he's writing to the Philadelphian church and saying, at that time, and for a prophetic time, I have the key to the door you need to go through. Christ has the key of David. If you want, when you go home, you can read of Isaiah chapter 22, verses 20 to 23, and it speaks of the key of David there. It speaks of placing people in position, in power, and in authority in Israel. And here again, the Lord says, I'm the king of Israel. I'm the king. I'm the head of the church. And here he's saying, I'm the one who is holy. I am the one who is true. And I have the key of David. Notice, the one with the key opens the door. Verse 7, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, 
I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. Now, we want to look at this open door. Remember tonight, it's open and closed doors. What is this open door? The one with the key opens the door. God opens the door. For example, in John chapter 10, verses 7 to 10, the Lord Jesus, we're told of the Lord Jesus, and he comes and he speaks to the disciples and to those who are about him. And he says, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Speaking to Israel here, the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. By the way, thieves gives the idea of deception. Deception. And robbers gives the idea of destruction. And Jesus is saying, there are those who have been before, and there are those that will come again. And we see it in our own day, there are those of deception, deceiving the sheep. And there are those of destruction, destroying the sheep. We're seeing it for the last few years especially. Those who are out in deception to deceive the people and destruction to destroy the sheep. Verse 9. Listen to what Jesus says. I am the door by me. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Notice this term, and shall go in and out and find pasture. Notice You mark that down. He'll go in and out and find pasture. The idea of this is, is when you're in the fold, the shepherd keeps you secure. But when you're needing the feeding, he leads you on out through an open door. And he's with you every step of the way. It doesn't mean it's all just here and there and sheep are all over the mountains without a shepherd. He's saying, I'm your shepherd and I'll put you, when you're saved, he says, I'll put you in my fold. When I put you in the fold, he says, I will keep you safe. And then you'll be able to go out and find pasture. You will come and follow me. They shall go in and out and find pasture. Verse 10, the thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. Notice the language of Christ here. First of all, he's saying there are thieves and robbers before. Now this thief, he says, will come to steal, to kill and to destroy. He'll come to steal your joy. He'll come to steal your mind. He'll come to steal your happiness. He'll come to steal your children. He'll come to steal your health. He'll come to steal, to kill you. Listen, we're seeing it. We're seeing it all around us. To kill and to destroy you. The same thieves that were before in Israel are the same thieves who are here today. And the same sheep... We must keep our eyes on Christ. The thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Notice what he says, I am come. That they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. You see, when the shepherd came with the sheep, he put them into the fold. And many of the shepherds actually lay across the door. They're maybe propped up on one side and their feet across, and they slept there. You know why? 
Because he was the door to the sheep. He was the door to the sheep. And the wolf couldn't come. If a bear came, he could fight it off in a way like David did with a bear and a lion. He was the door to the sheep. And he lay across the door. And when he lay across the door, he protected the sheep. And he says, you'll go in and you'll be safe and you'll eat in comfort. He says, you'll be under the shadow of my watchful eye. But when we're going out, we'll go out together. When the door is open, you go, you go with me. And I will lead you out. What a Christ we serve. What a shepherd we have. What a Lord we follow. Notice this. In the Old Testament, and you can jot these down without turning to them because I've just jotted some of them down. In Jeremiah 37 and verse 4, Jeremiah is preaching to Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And he's preaching to Judah and he's being turned away. And we know at one time he's thrown down a pit and he's, he's lifted back up out with cloths tied together and they, they pull him out. But notice what it says in Jeremiah 37 and verse 4. Now Jeremiah came in and went out among the people, for they had not put him in prison. Now Christ that is believed is thinking of these things because he is the one, the God of Jeremiah. He's the God of the prophets. The Spirit of God speaking through the prophets. And hence it says here that Jeremiah came in and he went out and they wouldn't put him in prison. And Christ has taken this uh, analogy here uh, and this idea of it. It's also said in Psalm 121 and in verse 8. Psalm 121 verse 8. Notice what it says. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in. From this time forth, listen, even forevermore, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in. From this time forth, from what time forth? When you know he's your Lord. When you know he's your Lord. Listen, there's nothing, nothing I can do nor anyone else can do. No angel, no principalities or powers can pluck the believer from the hand of the Father. None can do it. And here he is, the protective shepherd, the door of the sheep. And it says here that he shall preserve us going out and preserve us coming in from this time forth even forevermore. And lastly on this one, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 6. I preached on this a lot of weeks ago on the national aspect of walking with God and the trouble with our nation today. Notice what he says on the Israel here. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in and when thou goest out. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in and when thou goest out. And if our nation wants to be blessed, if our nation wants to be great, if our nation wants to be protected, if our nation wants to be prosperous, then it needs not follow the thieves and the robbers and stop them from coming in to desecrate our land and our nation and all of the ungodliness of its laws that it's bringing in. And we need again to trust in the one who said, I am the door of the sheep. I am the one to protect you. I am the one who will be with you. So the door is Christ himself. And he is the only door of salvation as we have seen in John chapter 10. 
I am the door by me, he said. If any man enter in, he shall be saved. Would you say saved? Would you say it again? Would you say it like a minute? Aye, that's better. Saved! If a man or woman comes through me, believes in me, he says, they shall. This isn't they might be down the road, down the line. We'll see when you get there. Pastor said that a lot of years ago to me in an air, took a buckle in my eye. Well, sure, we'll not really know till we get there. I says, what? Salvation is an assurance that Christ has paid my debt. I'm saved for all eternity. Saved by the grace of God through the blood of the Lamb. Are you saved tonight? Saved. It's got something about it, hasn't it? You just say the word, I'm saved. Let the devil hear it. I'm saved. (laughs) Tell him your testimony. I'm saved. You've got your doubts. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're saved. You don't listen to the lies of the wicked one. Don't listen to the lies of the devil. He's come to steal and kill and to destroy that you might fall away, walk away, and be destroyed by the end of it all. You say, I'm saved. Saved by grace through faith in Christ. Are you saved tonight? There's something about it, isn't there? Notice, so Christ is, he's the only door of salvation. Secondly, He's the only door of revelation. He's the only door of revelation. Revelation chapter 4, please. Revelation 4 and verse 1. John says, after this, this is after the churches and all we talked about. After this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. The first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately, this is powerful. This is powerful. It's mighty. And immediately, I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now notice here, John sees a door opened in heaven and in the spirit of the voice says, come up hither. In other words, I want to show you something, John. Jesus says, John, I want to show you what's going to happen through the church age. Through the day of grace, I want to see, I want to show you what's happening. Revelation. Notice here, the open door is not the rapture, but the revelation that Christ showed John of heaven. Listen, the open door and the view which John had is heaven's view on earth throughout Israel's wandering until Israel's gathering and the church age the whole way along. He's looking at it from heaven, from chapter 4 to chapter 19, till Christ comes, the word of God, out of heaven to earth again. Now take note of this. Take note of this. The door open is not the rapture, but the revelation of how heaven views earth and how earth can view heaven. John's given a view of what heaven's like. 
John's given a view of the New Jerusalem when we hear of pearly gates and golden streets. And listen, I, and it's all wonderful. I believe in all of that, but I believe it's even greater than anything that we could have explained to us. I believe it's just written down for our understanding a pearly gate and a golden street and a crystal river. I believe in all of it, but at the same time, I believe it's even greater than we could ever imagine. You may say, well, why? Well, Paul says, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. God has prepared a place for you. Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. I can't wait till Christ comes again. I can't wait till he comes. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Take note of this, brothers and sisters and friends. This open door shows Jesus reigning on the throne of heaven and also ruling over the sons of men on earth until he returns to sit on the throne of David, ruling over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Turn with me just for a moment. Luke chapter 1. I'll turn with you. Luke chapter 1. I want to read a couple of verses. I know people will disagree with me in saying this. Always on the throne of David. The throne of David isn't a heavenly throne. It's an earthly throne. For an earthly kingdom. We will reign with him. Revelation, book of Revelation says, and we will rule or we will reign with him on the earth. On the earth. Notice this, Luke chapter 1, please. And let your eye run down to verse 31. Now, this is the angel to Virgin Mary. This is her, this young woman. And behold, I shall conceive in thy womb. Luke 1 and verse 31. And behold, I shall conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great. And he shall be called the son of the highest. Notice And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. This is, this hasn't happened yet. This open door is showing us Christ as God on his throne in heaven. Of course he rules over all. Of course he's God over all. But he's coming again and he's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. And when he comes again, the saints are going to go marching in and we're going to rule and reign with Christ. We will be with him ruling and reigning. Christ is the door of salvation. John 10. Christ is the door of revelation. Revelation 4 and verse 1. But here's something. We only realize this door. We only realize it. This door is opened when awakened and drawn by the Holy Spirit. For John says, turn back again with me to chapter 4 of Revelation, please. Verse 2, and immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Notice, four times, you ready? Four times in the book of Revelation, the term 
I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit, it said, four times. First of all, Revelation 1, please, in verse 10. Revelation 1 and verse 10. Notice what John says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus and unto Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So here he is. He's in the spirit to get these seven letters to these seven churches. And this spirit shows us through the church ages. Right from the early church, right through to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we have Revelation 4 and 2. John says, I was in the Spirit. And then Revelation chapter 17, if you want to turn briefly with me. Revelation 17. Verse 3 says, So he carried me away in the Spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. You know what this is? This is the church of Rome. Spoken of before it's even birthed. Coming out from pagan Rome. And John sees it. And John says, this is what I saw. Notice, scarlet colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Notice, and I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. In other words, he's looking and he's seen the reformation through revelation. And now he's saying, these are the people of Christ's salvation, the saints of God. Can you see it, brothers and sisters, this open door showing the revelation of the ages? Brothers and sisters, this brings us right up the end times when the ecumenical movement of Islam and all shades of Christianity, Roman Anglicanism and many of the charismatics and, and all sorts of people are gathering together with Judaism and, and Islam and or sorry, Buddhism and, and, and all these sort of things. There's a heart of church and the heart of daughters. The heart of church of Rome and the heart of daughters of, of all the Protestant apostate denominations gathering in together for the last days. And every religion being brought together with it. Take note of this. The fourth one is in chapter 21. Chapter 21 and in verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And the light was like unto a stone most precious, like on the jasper stone, clear as crystal. Notice this. It was the spirit that showed him the new Jerusalem. Now, the new Jerusalem is in the old Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem are the saints of God, those who have been saved, the ecclesia, the called out, the blood-bought and the blood-washed. We are the new Jerusalem. We are the ones who will be with Christ. 
So you see, John says through this open door, I was in the Spirit. 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 And it takes the Spirit of God to show you the Christ, to show you the Lamb. If it's not the Spirit of God, then you won't see him. You won't understand him. And you certainly won't understand his power and glory through the ages. Here's an open door for you. Christ, the open door. Will you walk through it? Will you come to it? Will you trust in it? So only the Holy Spirit can, through him we can go through the open door. The Holy Spirit is the porter. I haven't time to go back to John 10. Jesus talks about the porter opening up the door. He is, the Spirit of God is the porter. Brings us to Christ. And inside Christ is all the sheep. He's the door to his fold. Are you in the fold tonight? I in the fold. So Jesus is the door of salvation. He's the door of revelation. And now going to our reading, he's thirdly the door of evangelization. Evangelization. Revelation 3, please, again. While you're looking it up, I'll get a drink. Revelation 3, please, and verse 7. The angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth that no man openeth. Notice, he's the one who has to open the door. You can't get into his glory. You can't come into his fold by your own strength. It has to be him. He has this key. Verse 8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Now I want you to see this. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan. This is the words of Christ. Which say they are Jews, or Judeans, or Judites, it should really read. Say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Christ loved me. This is the door. The open door that no man can shut, then he shuts the door that no man can open. This is the door of evangelization or just evangelism, if you want. Notice here, the Philadelphians of the city of Philadelphia now. The Philadelphian city was a gateway door, a gateway to Europe, and to the West. It was a major thoroughfare to the West from Asia Minor across the way. And hence Christ looks at this city and this uh, church in the city and he says, I'll set an open door for you. And here's why it is said, I have set an open door and no man can shut it and I'll have a door that no man can open. This is why he's saying no man can shut it. Uh, the, the, the people of the city, uh, the, if you want, the, the city council, the gate of the city is the city council. And the society in the city had its mission of spreading their, and it was mainly Greek, but spreading their culture, spreading their language, spreading their wills, their wants, and their lifestyles throughout all of the region. 
This was their idea. This was a major thoroughfare through the city of Philadelphia. And they were spreading their culture. Everybody was being hammered. Left, right, and center was in their face. The culture, their culture, their culture. And it was licentious. It was all about the money. And it was all about the perversion. Does it sound familiar? Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And Israel scattered and going westward and the gospel's going after them, after the lost sheep. And notice, the gospel goes and people are hearing the gospel and it comes to a gateway. And they go into the synagogue. They go into the synagogue to preach Christ unto them. And we're told that the door was shut in their face. They were hated for it. Jesus takes note of this synagogue or these synagogues, but the main synagogue in Philadelphia. And he takes note of this. He says they are a synagogue of Satan. They say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. He says they're not who they say. They're not true Judaites. They're proselytes from other faiths or other peoples. He says brought in. He says they won't stand for the truth. And so here he has a letter written to say, these people are off the synagogue of Satan. I'm going to say something, and I know many of you know about this, but you see, there's still a synagogue of Satan. There are those who say they are Jews, but they lie. They're not. They're not. Like the Rothschilds. Like the George Soros. Like the Bilderbergers. And the elitists, Lenin, Trotsky, Karl Marx, all came from that line. And they were, of course, we know, with the communism. The communism, it bred until we have now. The, the new word for communism could be democracy. Synagogue of Satan is at work in the world today. they shut the door in the face of the Christian. Listen, it is now, there was a, a newspaper article and a, a screenshot was sent to me and I read it. Just, I could just about read it when I blew it up. I could read it with one eye. That was my good eye. I was able to read it. And you know now they're trying in England, trying in England to stop anyone being allowed to read the Bible out loud. By the way, the King James Bible, you can go and read it in the street all you want. You know why? Because it's got a royal decree. And don't let anyone else tell you any different. But now they're trying to take it out. They're shutting the door. They've shut the door in schools, shut the door in universities, shut the doors in the colleges, shut the doors in government, they shut the doors everywhere. Close the door. But Christ says, I have set before thee an open door. Go and evangelize. But Lord, their culture, huh? Listen, maybe some are not here. We are down a bit tonight, but I'll tell you. Maybe some are just staying in to watch the woke cup. I mean the world cup. The woke cop. 
I hope England gets stuffed. <laughs> and I don't even like football. Sorry, all my English friends there and the supporters and all, but they are went so woke. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. The same in Philadelphia, their culture was like our culture. Every door from government, the city council, to the synagogues, to other places were shut in their face. And Christ seen it, and Christ says to the church, Listen, I have set before thee an open door that no man can shut. What's the open door he set before us? <laughs> Here, I was in the Spirit. The open door is we can go wherever we want and tell the glories of Christ. See, he's the one with the keys. But there's coming a day when no man can work, Jesus said. It's coming a day, he says, it's a dark day when no man can work. Notice here, he knows that they have a little strength in verse. Yet I have set before thee an open door, no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, or it could be read, I know you have a little strength left. I know you've, you're weak. You have been hit, church. You have been shut out church. You have been bashed church. You have been battered church. I understand the culture's against you. I understand the government's against you. I understand that this is against you and that's against you and everybody's closed the doors against you. He says, I know you're weak. I understand that, says the risen Christ. But I have set before you an open door. I notice this. This church time in, in in time from the seven churches, it comes right out of the Reformation where there was uh, those that we talked about earlier where the saints were martyred. Then it comes from there and steps into the Philadelphian age where that was relieved off. The door was opened for the, for the gospel in, the, in time around the 17, 1600s. The church... The church, the door of this, this open door for the church was salvation, revelation, and evangelization. And in time, in 1700s, we had people like George Whitfield, John Wesley. We had Augustus Toplady and Charles Hodge and John Newton and William Wilberforce and Charles Finney and D.L. Moody and Charles Haddon Spurgeon and you could go on. And what were they? They were preachers of the grace of God found in Christ. Preachers of the cross. Preachers of the blood. You see, God had, had settled it where no more was the persecution but the open door of the Philadelphia church showing the brother they loved to go out and search for the sheep and show the love of Christ as his brotherly love through the gospel. And so we have an open door. That gets a little challenging. Turn with me. I'm going to close this. In a moment, thank you for listening. Turn with me to Revelation 3, 
Revelation 3. We're going to let our eyes run down again then to verse 14. This is the next church age which came in the 1800s and into the 1900s. The Laodicean church, the last church. Under the church, the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Laodicea means ruled by the laity. In other words, there'll be a time then when the preachers and the pastors are afraid to preach. They're afraid to say what the scriptures say. The laity will tell them what to preach, how to preach, and when to preach it. Thank God it's not in CET. The Holy Ghost tells us what to preach, how to preach, and when to preach it. Verse 15, the Lord says, I know thy works, and thou art neither cold nor hot. Now, that means refreshingly cold. It doesn't mean that, oh, well, the Lord says, I'd rather you be backslidden and really cold. Or else, I'd rather you be burning hot. No, it means to be refreshingly cold, like cold water. Later to see, I had an aqueduct came down, and it came from the mountain. It started off refreshingly cold in the mountains, and as it flowed down into the city of Laodicea, by the time it got to Laodicea, with the sun up, it heated it up and it was lukewarm. And Jesus looks at this pipeline and this water and he says, this is how the water should be refreshingly cold. By the time it gets to you, it's lukewarm and this is what you're like to me. But if you take it and boil it or you can take it and heat it, you can bathe in it and do all of those things. So you can either bathe in it or go away up there and drink it. But in this part, the lukewarm part, it's no good. And he says this, these words to the church. Notice. Verse 16, so then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Jesus says the end time church makes him sick. The end time church makes him sick. Notice because. You you think of the church today, especially the church in the West. You, You think of the church today. Thou sayest, I am rich. And increase with goods and of need of nothing. Notice. I am rich. That's the church saying to Jesus. I'm rich. <laughs> increase with goods and need of nothing. We have all our comforts. We don't need anything. He says, but knowest thou not that thou art wretched? This is how he sees. Thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Then he says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. By the way, they used to make an eye salve in Laodicea and he looks at this and they used to do it because the sun would have burned their eyes quite a bit and their eyes would have been strained, almost blind. They got diseases in their eyes and they used to have a special eye uh, ointment that they made and they used to rub it on the eyes. And Christ takes this. Think about this. Think about the intimacy of this. Think about the intricate details in this society. And Christ looks at it and he says, See, if you want the eyes solved to see, come to me. I'll anoint your eyes with a spirit. I'll anoint your eyes with a Holy Ghost. Notice what he says in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. You know what he's saying? I'm standing at a closed door. I'm standing at a closed door. Open doors, 
These are closed doors. Notice, let me say it like this. This is what I wrote at the very, very bottom of the page here. This is what I've wrote. One opened by God to the church and another closed by the church to God. Think of all those preachers we talked about in that period of time, that Philadelphia period of evangelization. God opens the doors when there's all doors shut through time. We'll walk through it and what happens? A little down the line we become the Laodicean church and we shut the door on God. We can do this on our own, thank you. We can do this in our own programs. We can do this by having our own little bits and pieces that we do. And, and notice, if, if, we, if, we, uh, if we get the, 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 the disco balls and the flashing lights and the smoke around it, you know, that will, that will make up for the lack of the Holy Spirit. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. There's none can replace the Holy Ghost. Time's gone and almost gone. I want to round this up for you. Jesus is at a closed door. And he's saying, if you open the door, listen, he's speaking to the church, by the way. I know we preach this to those who are not saved, and, but he's speaking to those who know. Listen, the, un, the unsaved are, are dead in their trespasses and sins. They can't open the door. He opens the door. But then there comes a time when you shut the door on them, you don't want anything to do with them, but you know better. You know better. Notice this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and will open the door, I will come in with him and sup with him and he with me. If you're taking notes, write Song of Solomon chapter 5, especially from verses 2 to 6, okay? But in verse 4, in fact, even up to it, if you want, when you read it when you go home, so you have Solomon and the Shulamite and he takes her from the muck and the mire. He sees her in a field and she's got a dirty dress on. Her skin is baked hard and it says, I am black and comely. It doesn't mean that this, because it would be a derogatory to a black person to, to, to say these things. It's not that the, that the girl was black. She was sunburned. She was dirty in her skin. So when she says I'm black, she's not saying I'm dirty because I'm black. What she's saying is, my skin is wizened up. My skin is dried up in the sun. I'm laboring out in the field. Her dress is full of tatters. And Solomon comes down the road and he, he stops at her and she says, Behold, is my beloved coming, the one, the king. How, how would he ever want me? And he stops his chariot or he pulls his horse up and, and whatever he's in and he, he, he reaches down and says, my, he reaches down the hand like this to her and he says, Arise, my love, my beloved, my fair one, and come away for the winter is past, he says. Your winter is over when you come to me. And us, this woman represented Israel and, and he, Jehovah, and Christ with you and I. Come on. It's time you come out of the world. It's, it's time you took my hand because I love you. The great king, the king of kings has come to stoop and bow down. Give me your hand. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away, he says. Come away from this. Come away from the world. Come away from these things. 
And then later we're told that he, he, he clothes her and he feeds her and she's singing, I am my beloved's and he is mine and his banner over me is love. She's saying, I am as the curtains of Solomon as the tents of Gadar. Pardon me, as the tents of Gadar as the curtains of Solomon. The tents of Gadar were the tattered, war and weary looking tents of the, the Bedouin uh, uh, travelers and they set them up maybe for months or years, took them down and moved somewhere else all their life and they were just terrible looking. She says, that's me. That's who I am. But now he, the king has brought me in. The king has brought me to his home. He's washed me. He's cleansed me. And he's put a lovely gown on me. And she sees the great curtains in Solomon's temple. I am as the curtains of Gadar. And then she realized, but as the, I was the tent of Gadar, but now I was the curtains of Solomon. And he starts feeding her, but she takes him for granted. She starts to take him for granted. And the door is shut in his face. Notice, son of Solomon. Chapter 5 and verse 2. I've just jotted some of it down. Listen, he comes and he's, he's looking to get in. And this is what she says. I sleep, but my heart waketh. I'm in a slumber here. You know what? We twilight time, you're about to nod off and you don't want to be annoyed. I sleep, but my heart waketh. It is the voice of my beloved that, not, beloved that knocketh, saying, open to me, my sister, my love, my dove, my undefiled. Here is the love he has for her. And he's at the hole of the door, knocking on the door, as it's called, where the latch was. Listen to her reply in uh, Song of Solomon 5 and 3. I have put off my coat. How shall I put it on? I have washed my feet. How shall I defile them? In other words, I've hung that my coat up. I've everything I need. I'm in my nice warm bed. Now I've been looked after. I've got my comforts. I've washed my feet from the dust that I've been walking in all day. And now you want me to get up and go to you and open the door to you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. And the Shulamite down the chapter, by the time she realizes, I better open this door, she gets up and runs to the door and opens the door and he's gone. He's not there anymore. She runs through the streets searching for the one whom her soul loves. There was a closed door in his face. Song of Solomon 5 and 4 says, But my beloved put his hand by the hole of the door. And she says, My bowels were moved for him. It means inside I realized he's the lover of my soul. In Matthew 25, we have the parable of the ten virgins, five wise and five foolish. Five run out of oil and go to buy. And at midnight, behold, a cry comes. Behold, a bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. And we're told they go into the marriage. And the door was shut. And it says, And the door was shut in Matthew 25 and 11. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily, I know you not. Verily, I say unto you, I know you not. And the idea here is, it's a perfect tense with a present meaning. And it means Jesus said to them, I don't know you in relationship. I have no relationship with you. I've never been close with you. And you've never been close with me. I've never been intimate with you. And you've never known me intimate in the spirit. He says, and now he says, the door is shut. For if you hadn't known me, you would have been ready for my coming. And now you don't want me. He says, then that door is shut. This is the coming of Christ. And the Laodicean church 
He said, open the door, open the door, open the door. Luke 13, it says, Strive ye to enter in at the straight gate, for many I say unto you will seek to enter in, and ye shall not be able. 13 and verse 25, when the, Once the master of the house has risen up and hath shut the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. He shall answer you and say unto you, I know not whence ye are. You know what he's saying here? Listen. He's saying, I don't know you in an intimate fashion. You're robbing my doors. You're like a stranger at my door. Strive to enter in, even through shut doors and persecutions, even through hardships. He says, keep pressing on. Christian, keep pressing on. Keep pressing in. Yes, it gets hard. Yes, we get weary. Yes, we get tired. Even as the Lord said to the Philadelphian church, I know you have a little strength left. He says, but I'm your strength and I'll open the door. You keep pressing on, but it's hard and it's difficult. The way is straight and it's narrow. Yes, it is. It gives the idea of crushing grapes. I feel like I've been grapes crushed. You know what comes from crushed grapes? Wine. Why? And in these last days, we need to press on. We need to keep pushing on. We need to keep going on with God. I know it's difficult in work, and it's difficult at home, and it's difficult in society. I know I'm with you in it. And whenever I see it, whenever I hear it, I'm sick to death of looking at it. I was talking to someone during the week, and I said, I wish the Lord would come. I'm no longer of this world. I have nothing in common with this world. And churches are more worried about showing the football tonight. Churches are more worried about their sports, about the souls of men and women, and about people going on with God. And many of them are more worried about going out and having their drink. Yes, they are. I could go on, but I won't. Listen, brothers and sisters, strive. This is not for salvation. We are saved. Strive to enter into the straight gate. Because there's coming a time when the door will be shut. Christ will come and the door will be shut. The bridegroom will come and the door will be shut. And there's Christians who will be caught on, not caught up. Caught on, not caught up. And at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, where we'll stand before, at the Bema seat, there'll be Bemers at the Bema. Ashamed in his presence. Ashamed that it's coming. There'll be the, sa- the unsaved. He'll be lost forever. Lost forever. May God bless you tonight.